Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody, it's Jerry Jones, and uh, this month I've got a, an extra special treat. We're going to talk accounts receivable. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing to me uh, the number of uh, members and, and uh, non-members, clients, prospective clients, prospective members that I talk to that have out-of-control AR. Um, it's even more shocking to me when I find out after we do a little digging, A, why it got there, and B, what they're not doing to address the problem. So today we're going to cover a variety of topics. I have a special guest I brought in. His name is Andy Cleveland, known as the Accounts Receivable Ninja. Um, and so Andy's with us on, the, on, on this month's edition. And um, uh, Andy, where are you joining us uh, from today? Where are you located? Well, hey, Jerry. It's great to be here. Um, I am in a little town in South Carolina called Abbeville, South Carolina. Okay. Have you ever watched Sleeping with the Enemy with Julia Roberts? Yes. There aren't many Julia Roberts movies I haven't watched. Okay. I, I'm sure there's a reason for that. But the <laughs> one where they they line up all the cans in the closet because her boyfriend slash husband's trying to kill her, that's where yep. I live, in that town where it was filmed. Gotcha. Okay. So so, now, I'm glad you didn't say I live in that closet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And, and my wife will tell you I'm very normal. I, I, I never come after her with sharp objects. That's good. That's good. Right. Um, unless you're trying to defend her, right? Absolutely, yeah. Let's yeah. put that out there, Jerry. Sure. Absolutely. Well, um, Andy, it's a it's a pleasure to have you uh, part of our Dentistry Confidential interviewee family now, and I'm I'm glad you're here with us today. Um, we've got a lot of material to cover, um, but uh, – uh, I want to introduce you a little bit to our listeners so they kind of get an idea um, why you're called the Accounts Receivable Ninja. Um, you've been in, this, in what's called the revenue cycle space for almost 20 years, which is, um, you know, you're, you're getting up there in age. You're no longer, you're no longer part of the young, cl- the young crowd, I take it. No, in my mind, yes, but when <laughs> everyone in my town starts calling me sir, which is very common in the South. Yes, it, it's undeniable. That and the gray hairs keep popping up. Well, I shaved all mine off, so there's no gray hair except for I have, I have a little bit of facial hair that shows up uh, a couple times ah. a, a week, but and it's gray as I'll get out. So, um, you've been around you've been around dentistry for um, quite a period of time. I mean, you've you you know the business uh, side of dentistry, the accounts receivable side quite well, um, and and you started working with dental practices really on the collections. Uh, for so to speak, motivating those those patients who are, let's say, non-cooperative on paying uh, on everything from hygiene visits to full mouth restorations, and you kind of learned this business from uh, the ground up, and you've certainly developed um, a rare uh, high skill level in recovering what we call lost revenues, and um, so that's why you're on this call. I mean, you're you're an accounts receivable expert, um, and so um, I, our goal with today's seminar, if you will, our training is to um, is to really show dentists that, number one, you don't need to be afraid of accounts receivable. Uh, number two, you need to have a system to manage your accounts receivable. Number three, when things do go south, which they will, you know, anywhere from one to five percent of the time, you need to know what your, you, you need to know what your actions can be. So that's part of, of this call. And geez, Andy, let's, let's start by, um, maybe by you giving some additional background that I didn't cover, and then I would love to start off with, like, this is the worst accounts receivable story I've ever heard. One of those, <laughs> if you could. Oh, my gosh, you put me on the spot because there's so many. Um, <laughs> they just, there's never a dull moment. Um, you, you really um, amped me up quite nicely, and I appreciate all the accolades. So not much to add on my experience. Um, but working in the accounts receivable world is is a challenge and it's because there is a sense of maybe embarrassment or denial that commonly takes place with with practice owners uh, regarding this topic it's kind of like the weird uncle like you see him once once every christmas but no one really likes to talk about him, right <laughs> he's really odd yeah so it, it's one of those things that we'll get the call uh you know when when things get out of control but 
you know, there's there's all kinds of stories. I mean, the, the people that the dentist says, listen, this is this person, don't worry about this account. You know, I know it's $5,000, but, you know, this is a hygienist. She's been with me for years. Well, next thing you know, totally on the outs. Not a good relationship. Wow, she owes me $5,000. And then sometimes, you know, practices say, you know what? I know this guy. Like, he doesn't have a job. He lives under a bridge. There is no way that this account is collectible. And next thing you know, comes in. Um, I had a practice in Florida, similar example. You know, they turned over an account, and it was like $5,000. And they just said, there, there's no hope. And the guy walked in. I don't know if he was a landscaper or he had some type of daily, you know, service-type job. And he brought in $5,000 of cash to the practice. Those are my favorite so, kind. Those are my yes. favorite kind of payers. So all kinds of interesting things happen in our world. You just have to hold on tight and enjoy the ride. So, Andy, when when you, I mean, given all the the, the practices you've worked with, what is sort of the average accounts receivable that you're seeing? And, and if you can compare it maybe to um, month, months of collection. So, in other words, is it mm-hmm. uh, are you seeing one month of collection on average, two months? So, what I mean by that is, if a practice collects a hundred thousand a month. They have a hundred grand in AR, so they have one month on the books. Um, sure. And we're talking collections, not productions. Is there a, sort of a, an average that you see across the board? It, it, you really don't. It's kind of all over the map. Um, you know, if you're an ortho or you're a specialist, you know, you might do really well in keeping your percentages very low. Now, but ortho, right? That's going to be unduly high because of the nature of, of how you pr- provide uh, revenue for your practice. I think the commonly accepted belief with most people in, in dentistry is somewhere around a month's worth of average production is an acceptable level. But I would also say that that is really a number that should be, you know, there's there's no perfect answer, right? There's no silver bullets. And some practice owners are much more comfortable with risk than others. Mm-hmm. So that might be extremely high for one practice owner, but someone else might say, geez, if I don't have two or three months of accounts receivable build up because right that's recurring revenue mm-hmm. that ideally is going to be realized in the months to come that's kind of a buffer it's almost like having a a 401k working for you now um mm-hmm. maybe that's considered so there's really no you know right or wrong answer but i think if you had to pin me down it's somewhere around a month's worth of average production is the common commonly accepted uh, amount so, so if an, I mean, there could be a situation, um, and, and and for our listeners, I actually spent some, I spent a few years on the board of a, finance, a patient finance company, so I'm familiar with with this this world a little bit, not nearly like Andy, but I'm familiar with it a little bit. Um, we had some doctors that finance patients um, as part of this patient finance company that I was that I was uh, sat on the board for. Um, we had a couple doctors that were, you know, 90 to 120 days. Uh, of of collections on the books, and so and these were big practices. These are these are practices doing three million, and this is you know ten twelve years ago. So they're doing three million four million dollars a year, and they've got you know some big money in the books. Um, if they're doing you know three million a year, that's two forty a month, two fifty a month, and they might mm-hmm. have seven hundred fifty thousand AR. Now what's interesting is that the the two or three doctors that were that were at that level. Um, they were perfectly happy with that AR, and they did not want it to go below 90 days. Mm-hmm. Andy, I mean, I get it. I understand it, and frankly, I love it, but that's me. Why would a dentist – why should a dentist be okay or at least a little more comfortable with an AR given that it's a healthy AR? And I'll let you sort of um, take us through what that might mean and why these docs might be comfortable. Because I, I, for the guy who's got, like, three months on the books, who's quite happy with it, um, you know, what's he thinking? Right. I mean, right, how do you classify happiness anyway? It's such a nebulous term, right? I mean, some people <laughs> well, are happy just working day to day and making a living, right? Sure, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, so to answer your question, I think if the practice is successful in turning the AR into cash and having it at an acceptable level, I think that's where, you know, that satisfaction would 
come from. If things start turning where they have accounts receivable on the books and it's not realized, and for whatever reason that might be, and it starts hurting their business, then those people are usually the ones that are, un, you know, more unhappy with that. So I think it's a combination of approach, and also I think it's a philosophy of the practice as well. Um, mm-hmm. Some practices, right, are fee-for-service. They want all that money up front, and I get that. It makes a good uh, business model, but, you know, not everyone lives in Beverly Hills. I mean, what about the rural dental practices where you have people walking around in, in these towns that need your help, and right, and it's not just oral care anymore, Jerry, right? We're talking total body and health wellness mm-hmm. um, that, that we're now linking oral health to. So, you know, is the practice, is the dentist happy with helping somebody, maybe going the extra mile, and, you know, maybe they get some referrals of family and, and friends in there from that neglector. So, I think a lot of it depends on the philosophy of the practice, right? What are they trying to do in their business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I think you, you made a key point. If the AR is healthy, if it's a good AR, if it's performing, and for, for our listeners who may not be as well-versed in this or sophisticated on, the, on, on this topic, uh, performing AR is AR that's churning regularly. In other words, you're getting a payment every month. You're charging interest. You're probably charging late fees. You should be if you're not. Um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an account that is being serviced by the borrower, you know, by the debtor on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for some doctors, they're comfortable and happy extending payments out six months for a patient. If they get their 20 to 25% down, they know they're basically just financing their profit over a period of three to six months, which, frankly, if your practice is cash flow healthy, that is a beautiful position to be in, collecting interest on, you know, outstanding AR. I love that. Sure. Um, So, I mean, I think that's that's why these guys were perfectly fine and really didn't want their AR fussed with. In other words, they didn't want to shrink it. They wanted to keep it at that level. And they, they spent, mm-hmm. they spent uh, some time. They had, you know, both of these guys had full-time people that, that were dealing with their AR and then making mm-hmm. sure that it was performing. Um, well, we've got a lot to cover, Andy. I, I, I kind of was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on that, so it's kind of why I went down that road. Let's get into some questions because I know uh, a lot of doctors – when they are they when they want to make when they want to collect their AR, they've got mm-hmm. questions. So right. um, a lot of I've seen this happen. A lot of doctors will tack on a collection fee uh, right. to their statements. Is that even legal? Right. So I'm going to just give the politically correct answer here. The disclaimer that I am not an attorney or CPA, so I cannot give legal advice, Jerry. There, it's on the recording. Um, however, each state is different. Um, so it's kind of customary and accepted, um, number one, if it's allowable by your state. And, of course, mm-hmm. every state's different in their laws. So you definitely want to check with your local council, CPA, uh, et cetera. Um, but also these fees, if lawful, um, should be disclosed to your patients on the patient information, which normally on the patient information sheet is how it's communicated and agreed upon. Okay, so, so this should be part of the financial arrangements then at the very front end of the, of the treatment planning process? Correct. Uh-huh. Yep, I think that's the, the commonly accepted way of doing that. Um, and, again, check, check with your local entity on, on what you can charge and if you can charge. Um, but the other thing, too, is it can't be usurious. So each state has usury laws, right? They mm-hmm. protect consumers against uh, being taken advantage of by unethical businesses. So that's why you can't get a car loan that charges 100% interest, right? Because it's it's basically unlawful. So um, there's numerous things that you should check before, number one, deciding if you're going to charge it, and then deciding what you're going to charge. So So take us through an example of maybe – a common collection fee, how how it would be set up on the paperwork, how it, you know maybe some example wording. And again, um, we recognize you know your position uh, as an accounts receivable expert, not a CPA, not an attorney, so you're not providing legal advice or accounting advice. But what yep. are some what are some uh, collection fee strategies you've seen that are that, well, are that are effective? Yeah, good question. So if you're using um, a collection company and you're, you're sending accounts their way, um, a lot of times if you're using a company that charges you a hard fee, 
you know, there are companies out there, some charge percentages and some charge flat fees to do the work. I think it's generally accepted that it's, uh, you know, if you're paying a fee, an out-of-pocket, upfront, hard fee, right, you're paying it to another company, then I think it's reasonable to assume that you could charge that back to the patient if you've done all your diligence. Mm -hmm. um, if you're adding, you know, a percentage of what's recovered, that's where I think it gets pretty airy. And I've heard different states say different things about this. But, you know, if you're adding 50%, if the collection agency is charging you 50% and you just say, okay, I'm going to add 50%, uh, I would definitely caution people on doing that. I think that's a pretty risky move, and you're definitely going to want to seek the sage advice of an attorney or CPA on stuff like that. I've, I've heard attorneys argue both sides of that case. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of collection laws are very gray. You know, they say you can't uh, call someone with the intent to harass. Well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it could mean that I I'm be calling paid. every five uh, minutes. <laughs> or does yeah, it mean that could I be call construed. once a week? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, about, you know, is it a hard fee? Is it a reasonable fee? Right? Would a reasonable person feel like this is uh, a, a reasonable fee, or is it outrageous? Like if if your if your dentist charged you fifty percent on top of a bill, how would you feel? I mean, would you feel like, wow, they're just after our money? This is crazy. Like, this isn't reasonable. Well, and, and, and I think there's a there's a there's a double-edged sword here, right? So a lot of doctors are even hesitant to want to collect from patients because they don't want their mm -hmm. name smeared, which I think right. to me is a little bit that's a little too scaredy cat for me. Um, mm -hmm. because, look, they owe you money. You delivered a service. Now, if you didn't deliver the service, you shouldn't be trying to collect. But if you did, I mean, a reasonable person is going to expect you to pursue them. Um, yep. And if they don't pay and they're nasty about it, then, you know, they're going to get kind of what they have coming. So, I mean, for me, I, I don't like the idea of tacking on collection fees because, like, for example, ours, ours costs 35%. We just know it's a cost of doing business, right? And, right. And we know right. we're going to give that 35% up. We do have a right to go collect it, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of if I'm a patient, I've fallen on hard times, and I'm so embarrassed I don't communicate with the right. office that I've fallen on hard times, um, but they're going to come after me with a collection agency, and I'm going to pay it. Geez, it sure be nice if they didn't because I am going to make an effort to pay it. And so um, right. we've had patients come back after we've sent them to the collection agency. Sure. I mean, because we were kind of, in other words, they knew we'd exhausted all of our efforts. And they got what they really were expecting, which is a call from the collections company. So mm -hmm. I, I think you want to do the right thing. Just because you can legally do something, put yourself right. in that person's unfortunate shoes. If, in fact, it's, you know, somebody that isn't trying to screw you, they're just trying to, you know, eat um, Sure. So I think there's I think there's a judgment call to make there, and, and so well, that's my personal opinion. So it sounds like you're you know, kind of in that same same world. Yeah, you know it's like I heard this, and I've, there's an article to back this up, Jerry. But it's like one in three Americans at any point in time are in collections. You wow. know, like the average 30%, American, thirty-three percent of Americans, something like that. Yeah, I've got the article. Wow. I can send it to you. Um, and then the other thing is that, like, the majority of, of Americans don't have $1,000 in their savings account. Right. And again, I can back this all up with references. Sure. But it's it, it's to the point where, like, okay, so, Jerry, uh, let's just say, and I know you're a big debt-free guy, which I love, by the way. But Thank you. let's say you don't, pay, you don't pay your car payment. What happens? Yeah, they're going to take your car. Uh, what if you don't pay your cell phone payment? What happens? It's shut off. What about your house payment? Well, you can lose it through foreclosure. <laughs> right. So can you take, right? You get the point. Um, yeah. Right? You can't take back your dental work. No. Nope. So it is interesting that in America, because our dental practitioners are such good people, they have good hearts. Their hearts are in the right place, but people justify not paying it because they don't do anything about it. You know, right. they'll send statements to their blue in the face. Everyone else, you know, they don't want their iPhone getting cut off, and they certainly want to go on vacation next month. But yep. that $85 hygiene visit, well, that can wait till next time I come to the office. It's an interesting paradigm shift when you're going from a traditional business to dental. Now, Andy, can I, can I stop you there for a second? Because I think you've, 
you've hit on a real important point, and I think it could very well be one of the most important points of this entire discussion that we have today, and that is um, because that is the thinking that most, many, I won't say all, I'll say many patients have about their debt at the dental office. They have that same feeling about their debt to their physicians, actually, too. Um, physicians face, as you know, a similar challenge for those that extend credit or, you know, maybe they bill for part of the surgery up front and part of it afterwards. Um, but now I think a lot of this can be addressed early on in the patient relationship cycle. Um, I think uh, proper, it doesn't eliminate all of it, but it, elim- it can eliminate a lot of it, and that's proper framing of uh, of, a, of, a, of an office's particular collections policies and mm-hmm. make, making sure that the patient knows. Now, if we're unable to, if we don't receive payment or if, you know, for example, we, we auto-debit everybody. So anybody who wants to make payments, we auto-debit. If we're unable to auto-debit their checking or debit card or credit card or whatever we have, they know we're going to be in touch with them because it's so clearly explained in the beginning that how right. important it is that these payments be made on time. And, and so there's a lot of setup. I think some offices where they face this challenge that you just, that you just r- revealed, they don't frame it, they're not charging interest, and they're not charging late fees, all of which, yep. I, I mean, you know, the best-performing AR is going to be an AR that is that you, where you can leverage interest charges and late fees, right? Sure, and it's all how you want to run your business. I mean, I've had, you know, worked for, you know, new docs straight out of school. You know, they're 300 something thousand dollars in debt. They bought the practice from, you know, a guy on his, a guy or a gal on his way out, you know, right, yep. playing golf a couple times a week and letting everybody slide. And then they walk into this huge thing and they're like, we have to do something about this or, you know, I can't pay my bills. Yeah. So it is a shift in the way people think and, and really, you know, what you're describing, if you, if you properly set the stage and have procedures in place that you actually follow through with, not like the diet where you just keep eating everything you want, like that's the one I'm on. But that's my diet. Actually, yeah, yeah, we're on the same one. Um, and I haven't lost a pound yet. It's really fascinating. Are you gaining like me? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, think, I think you shared me uh, the eating regimen, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm sure I did. Um, I'll, t- I'll take the blame for it. <laughs> but, but you know, so the point is, right, following through with what you say you're going to do and really being proactive on the front end. I'm amazed at how many practices do not ask for the balance when the patient's standing right in front of them. Yeah. They'll schedule the, the follow-up appointment and they'll just say, well, you know, we're not quite sure exactly how much your insurance is going to pay. We'll just send you a bill. Thanks. Yep. And and it's amazing to me. And once they walk out that door, right, you know as well as I do, the chances drop tremendously. Yep. So there's staff yep. education. It's a skill and art in how to ask. Yeah, for sure. A great area, by the way, I think Dennis um, can certainly invest. I mean, look, if you invest in training for your team, I, I read it not long ago. Jay Abraham said, uh, very famous uh, business consultant Jay Abraham, indicated that when you train your employees, you can, you can, your return on investment is between 20 and 200 times. So I think this is one of those areas where your investment on training your team in this particular area could literally be a 200 times return on your investment. So I think training certainly is in order. Um, right. So we got to keep moving because, man, we got a lot of questions. <laughs> Andy, I apologize. Yeah, um, I have a few for you, but I'm biting my tongue. Okay, good. Um, well, let me, ask, let me ask one, then you can ask one. Statue limitations. Okay. Um, right. Now, this, this is a sticky area because you can get yourself, or your business rather, in some hot water if you aren't aware of the statute of limitations, which I, from my experience, um, not a positive one, but from my experience, uh, there is a statute of limitations. But what, how does that work in a dental office, and what is it? Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, the, and this is not like Seinfeld. It's not the statute of limitations. I think you're referring to the statute of limitations. Right, a law, right? Right, a law that says how far can you go back to recover your money, okay? And, again, 
uh, you have to check with your states on this. Each state is different, mm-hmm. and each state has a different time frame on what is acceptable. If it's a verbal agreement or a written contract, it's obviously a, very often a very different time threshold for either of those. And, mm-hmm. again, every state is different. So mm-hmm. it really depends on is it what type of agreement is it? Is it a contract, written you know, there, there's some things to look at. But I would actually challenge that that's that much of something that we really need to focus on, Jerry, because let's look at it reasonably. Let's say the statute of limitations in your area is three years. But you know your chances of recovering an account are less than 10% after a year. Do we really care if the statute is three or five years? Does it really matter? Nope. So that that's that's kind of my thought process is let's it's just like dentistry. Why don't we exercise prophylactics on your receivables early on in the process so that you never have to deal with the extraction? It's gonna be more painful, it's gonna be more traumatic for everybody involved, and the outcome's not good. So let's focus on the things we can do rather than splitting hairs on can we do this? And if we do this, what's really the realistic outcome? Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, um, prevention always beats, you know, a cure or a semi, um, you know, uh, semi-good attempt at, attempt at at mitigating the pain. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, statements, Andy. What about statements? Uh, most <laughs> offices, I mean, I've heard some, you know, there's a, there were there was for a period of time a couple of consultants running around saying, "Oh, I'll show you how to have a statement-free practice and never send another statement again," as <laughs> if sending a statement is right. just this horrible. Oh my God, it's expensive, and you know they make a really big deal out of a out of something Ooh. that is just part of business, right? Right. So what, I mean, that's again. Now I'm inflecting my opinion or injecting my opinion into this conversation, obviously. But you may have a different one, and, and if you do, great, because let's talk about it. So, what, what are your thoughts on statements? Well, I mean, the first thing is, you know, is ideally you want to be able to not have statements. So, in a, in a perfect world, where everyone is, you know, tall and thin, none of the things that I am, in a perfect world, right? Everyone would just pay prepay, and you would just run a clean practice where there is no AR. But the reality of it is that's just not the way the world works. Right. So if you have patients that owe you money, the first thing is you got to do statements. Um, you know, for the cost of, of a stamp, is so negligible in comparison to the rate of return. And you also have to look at your patient base, you know. Like I know you do a lot of, uh, direct mail, and there's certain populations that's very effective. Maybe the millennials, not so much. So looking at your demographics, where is your practice? Um, what kind of patients are you dealing with? If, if patients prefer a text or a phone call, then if you think that's the most effective medium, do it. But uh, doing statements, in my opinion, should be done. I think the more weight you can communicate with your par- with your patients that are legal. The more ways you can communicate with them about their balance, the better. So a statement's good. Um, a phone call is good. Some people are, are transitioning to the e-statements or the email statements. I think that works as well, but I think you can make the argument that having two or three or four mediums is better than just relying on one. Would you agree with that or am I off? No, I'm I am with you 100%. I would stay away from personally I'd probably stay away from texting, um but phone call, email and and absolutely US mail. For me, uh email is a challenge because um I mean, what I what what I do know about emails, they do get lost. They do go to spam filters. And so if you're if you think you're going to save 50 cents or 48 cents, I guess they drop the rate. If you're going to save 48 cents um by sending an email, that is money foolishly not invested. I mean, to me, so don't rely on just sending an e-statement. Um, make sure, or an electronic, you know, an email. Make sure you've got the hard mail. I mean, that's my my personal opinion. And that's, sure. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, you mentioned millennials. So I had a dental assisting school for a while, um, built it up and sold it. And for three years, I lived off the cash flow mm-hmm. from payments coming in from students. 
and um, we learned our first year how to finance these students. And so we, we ran up a huge AR in our first year because we weren't really sure how to finance them. It was a little bit different of an animal than my partner and I had financed before. And so it took a little time to sort of learn the nuances. But once we got it dialed in, I mean, we were financing people 100%, 80%, 90%, 50% their entire, for their entire um, tuition for our school. And, and we're talking eight, nine grand. So, I mean, it wasn't chump change. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, maybe it is to some people, but to these kids, it was real money. And oftentimes, well, all the time, a parent or guardian was co-signing. Um, paper statements ruled the day. If we didn't send out a paper statement, eh, bad idea, no money coming in because right. they wouldn't send in the coupon, right? So right. we, we, I mean, it was like clockwork. Now, the question I have is we actually found there were better times during the month than others to send statements. What, is that something that a dentist could maybe change in their AR cycle to improve collections? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would encourage, you know, every dentist practice to be different than everybody else. You know, if everyone in town is just like our discussion, everyone's billing on a 30-day cycle, and you know that for most people, billings due on the first of the month. Well, maybe you bill prior to that. Bill on the odd day out. Um, also billing more frequently. You know, if if you can touch one of your students or one of your patients three times in the same time that it would take their medical practice that maybe they owe money to down the street, who's going to get paid first, the one they receive free contacts or one? So playing, yeah. yeah, playing around with the times, um, when you release them, um, and the frequency is really the key. And I, I'll be very upfront with you, Jerry. I, I've been in dental practices where they billed everybody uh, three months ago and have not sent a patient statement since. Oh, gosh. And gosh. I'm just, it, it's just, it's in, in crazy. Like, I can't think, besides filing insurance and taking great care of the patient, which is very important, I can't think of much else that these people, you know, that you could do on a daily basis that would trump that, unless you're, like, going down to, to collect your lottery winnings or something really, you know, crazy like that. But yeah, you got to get your statements out the door. If you're not yeah. doing that consistently, you know, hire a company or hire a person to do it. Well, and I, you hit on you hit the nail on the head. <clears throat> Consistency is key, and it's and and here's the deal: us humans rely on consistent communications to tell us what to do, tell us really sometimes even how we feel. I mean, if you think about consistent communication from a spouse. If your spouse never mm-hmm. praises you and all of a sudden one day does, it kind of, your eyebrow kind of raises up a little bit like, well, what's going on? Why am I getting praised? But if you're praised every day or you're told, you know, your spouse, hey, I love you, you know, or whatever, you become conditioned to it and you expect it. So statements aren't any different. Yes, it's sort of a negative, <laughs> maybe. Um, but, look, I mean, they racked up the, the bill. They need to be paying it. And I love that frequency thing. So jumping back to that, is, are you saying, like, maybe every 21 days mail out a statement? Sure. I mean, heck, you could do net 10 if you wanted to or net 15. I mean, it'd be nice if you, you probably communicate that to your patient when they, sure. you know, first agree. I mean, that's a smart move. You don't want to surprise your clients to anybody, but sure, go on a net net, net 15 cycle. It, mm-hmm. I, it can't hurt. I know that. Yep. I, I mean, I think it's brilliant. I, I love the idea, especially if you're trying to get your AR under control or you're really just trying to train your patients on – on your financial process. And, and I think both, you know, both uh, require some consistent communication there. So, yeah, I mean, I love that. Um, you said you had a question for me, Andy, and before I keep going on mine, um, I'll let you throw one at me. Well, w- sure. And I've got a zillion of them. I'm sure that one went right through my brain. It's gone. But what do you feel about how, how you train your the people at, at checkout, Jerry? Do you have certain ways that you feel are more effective and getting them to collect the balance. I mean, do you see some best practices from, from docs that are really doing a great job or not? Because I, I get a little skewed because I'm often going into practices that are um, debilitated in this area. Yeah, where they need some training, they need some firm policies, firm systems, and some way to actually, somebody to actually enforce them. Yeah, um, I mean, so the, the dentist doesn't 
doesn't even really reinforce the, the ideology that people need to pay that day. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, and this is a question that should be asked of every dentist in America is what is your financial policy? Um, and, no, don't just recite to me what's on your paper. Number one, you should have a written financial policy that every patient should see and sign off on. So mm-hmm. part of our new patient paperwork is a financial policy. We haven't even met these folks yet, but we're making them aware of what our financial policy is in the event they need treatment. And we offer and we make it as easy as possible for our, our patients to pay. Whether they have insurance or not, we don't care. We want to make it easy for them because we're trying to remove barriers to sure. getting their treatment done, right? So we don't put up barriers by saying, oh, well, we will only accept care credit or we will only accept um, cash. And if you can't pay in full today, then you need to go find a new dental home. Um, to me, those right. are all really caustic, really bad ways to do business. So we make it as easy as possible. We'll take any kind of financing they want that they, that they can get approved for. We'll extend payments over time for them. Mm-hmm. We'll take their insurance. We'll take cash. We'll take credit. And we'll even mm-hmm. knock a discount off for cash. You know, we'll, we'll give them a discount for cash. Sure. Because we're going to pay a discount to whomever else we use. Might as well take, you know, might as well adjust your fees up and take a discount for cash too. So um, that's number one is having a firm financial policy that everybody, the DAs, the doctor himself or herself, and the office manager, everybody understands the financial policy. And everybody understands that, Everyone is responsible, not just the the poor lady at the front office trying to check a patient out. She's part of it. She's like the last one. But it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that money gets collected. Because to me, we're in a team sport here. Doctor delivers the care. The rest of the team should be doing everything else to make that, that experience a positive one to include collecting the money. So for us, new patient comes in. They get the financial policy. They have to initial that they read it which maybe some do, maybe they don't, but they all have to have an initial there. So they've seen it. And once they find out what kind of treatment they need, they're, they are sat down and talked to about it. Okay, Mary, you need a crown. Your insurance will cover um, roughly half, you know, and we're a preferred provider. Um, so it looks like you won't have any out-of-pocket other than a copay of 50 bucks. Um, mm-hmm. Insurance regulations require that we collect the $50 before we start treatment. Is, is that, does that sound like a great plan to get started, Mary? You know, and Mary says yes or no. Um, Mary doesn't have insurance. Mary, um, looks like crown will be about 1300 bucks. Here are three different ways that we can offer you to take care of the financial side. Which of these three ways looks good to you? Right. So, I mean, and, and that's the conversation. You have to have the conversation. And then if Mary says, well, this one where I pay in full and get 5% off really sounds great to me. Or this one where I use my credit card and make six equal payments of $100 and give you a down payment today of 700 Whatever the heck, that, you know, whatever it is, you know, we make it easy for them to say yes. So that's how, to me, you avoid financial collection issues, but that's also how you prepare your patients to pay because, I, I mean, you're providing a service. It's like the grocery store. You've got to pay. Whether you pay over time or now, we don't care. Isn't it interesting that a, a lot of practices are super happy just going straight to the finance company and losing a good chunk of their profit? I'll never, I'll blow, never understand that. Does that, that. not blow you away? Or it, I'll never it understand like that. Not many people feel that way, but I'm like, wow. I mean, when you look at the percentages, um, it's a very hefty chunk is going straight to the financing company. And the financing company, a lot of times, right, they're a business for a reason, and they're successful for a very good reason. They're very good at what they do, and they're only going to extend credit to people that are going to pay. Yep. Yeah, so it's and, like those and, those people could actually pay the practice direct, yeah. and, and, the, and the doc would keep the money. Yep, yep. No, it, it boggles my mind. And I had a conversation today with a with a gentleman that I've known for 20 years um, uh, about their patient finance company and how they you know how they operate it and what they do. And uh, we had the same conversation. Why in the world would you give up 10 to 15 percent to an unknown third party? You know, mm-hmm. they're not related to you. They don't have your interests in mind. They have their own interests in mind. Why would you give up 15%? Why would you give up 10? Why would you give up 8? I mean, hello. Right. Uh, right. You know, if they can qualify for care credit, they probably got a credit card in their pocket. Right. It's going to cost you three and a half or two and a half um, percent. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't understand it. It's just this mentality that somebody has adopted 
their team is behind it, and some consultant mm-hmm. taught them you should never be the bank. You should always just use Care Credit. Um, right. God, you know, God bless Care Credit. They've done an incredible job penetrating the marketplace, but it isn't always the right answer. Just like in dentistry, there's a hundred answers. You know, there's a hundred. If you had a hundred doctors diagnose one patient, you're probably going to have yep. like ninety different treatment plans, right? Sure. And sure. that's just that's just their that's just the experience that, that that they've had, the training they've had. It's all a little different. So. Little business is a little different than treatment planning, but you know not much when it comes to those kinds of those kinds of things. So um, let's talk about overseas folks. I love outsourcing. I mean, I'm a big fan of outsourcing. I have two or three projects going right now that I've outsourced mm-hmm. to somebody somewhere, and some of them are in the United States, some of them are overseas. But now, to me, this may be a little sticky of a subject. Um, how, how do you feel about outsourcing? Should should people outsource this to a, a, a country that a you know, non-native English speaking country? Yeah, this idea I mean, of collecting. Boy, that's a that's a real question that would just stop by anybody in their tracks. It's kind of interesting, you know. They like they say, you know, you've heard people say, I, I forget where I heard this, but something it, it makes total sense, right? If if you could buy, if you knew everything was in America, you know, built by us, by Americans, right? You'd buy it. And people say, yeah, I'd even pay a little bit more, right, to, to support our, our industry, right, that we wouldn't buy something overseas. But, you know, it's funny. It's like everybody still shops at Walmart, right? It's like the cool thing to say that, that no one would outsource and we want to keep everything here, but ultimately the purse often trumps, you know, where the work is done. So, uh, I'm not opposed. I don't. I have kind of an ambivalent um, opinion about uh, outsourcing. I think it's a, it can be a very good thing if you're re- running a tight ship and you're really concerned on costs. You know, as long as the, the vendors are reputable and all that. And mm-hmm. then I think to some people it's very important that you support our local economy and maybe have someone local do a lot of the work. But you can use that to your advantage. I mean, if you've got someone from overseas, let's say they're communicating with your patients, and maybe the patients don't like it, well, maybe that encourages the patient to call the practice, and then you can get it handled from there. Is that not a win? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. if, you know, just focusing on, like, hey, we just need to have someone local, well, Sometimes it makes sense to go to someone on the outside, not from your area. Um, I know I don't sound like I'm from South Carolina, but I seem to do fine. And then I go back to I go back to Vermont, where I'm from, and people say, "Boy, you don't sound like you're from up here. Where do you sound?" So the only place I sound like is probably someone in the Midwest, some unknown state that no one's ever heard of. I don't fit in anywhere. I don't know. You kind of sound like you could be from the Northwest because up here, I think we are the yeah. only, you know, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. I'm not going to include California because, you know, well, I love California and Californians, but it's not it's not the Northwest. But there are no, there there's zero inflection of voice and, and right. strange twangs. I mean, it's just very cut, you know, very clean, I guess, uh, without any accents or anything else. But I, I, I'll t- I will take. Um, I guess for me, from my perspective, um, I'm I'm not excited as excited about having someone call from Sri Lanka versus Washington or Oregon, you know, or or mm-hmm. Idaho, or I mean California. I'll throw California in there too for my own dental office. Uh, in other right. words, I'm going to want a local sounding person. I don't care where they're mm-hmm. at. Um, I mean, maybe it's somebody from Oregon that's living in Sri Lanka and they're working cheap. I just want right. that native sounding voice. I guess, and that's me. That's just me, my own personal bias. Mm-hmm. But I understand where you're saying. Um, there may be. What if there it doubles well your cost? cost? What if it doubles your cost? I don't care because I mean, for okay. me, uh, so I'm paying instead of paying five bucks a phone call or seven or ten or whatever the number is, I might pay twenty. Um, yep. If the results, if the results uh, dictate it, great. I don't care because okay. for me, there again, I'm going on results. And if that right. person can't get it done that's here in the U.S., I'll find somebody else that can get it done here in the U.S. Um, yeah. And and I you know, um, when you when you mention made in USA, I I do like to support businesses that are here in the U.S. as opposed Who doesn't? to overseas. I mean, we have a great I country. Mean, Everybody does. Yeah. Everyone so, does, but 
you know, it's not that it boils down to price tag. You know, if you have a, a new practice owner, they're 28 years old, straight out of school, maybe they can't, you know, make that same choice to, to go double or nothing uh, with, with someone here. You know, the only thing that also really concerns me a bit is just the safety of your information. Um, when, you know, and a breach can happen anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's here or overseas. But that's that's always a, a concern is yeah. to make sure that you're going with someone reputable that's mm-hmm. going to safeguard your information because there are thieves out there that want practices information and they will, you know, they will literally hold your information hostage and make you pay a ransom until you uh, to pay their fee to get your data back. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all over the news. So yeah, yeah that, and, and that does you, scare me a bit. Yeah, you're right about that. That's another thing I hadn't even considered. But, yeah, when you start sharing data with um, with folks who are not reputable, that you, you just don't know who they are. I mean, there are some companies that you and I would recognize name-wise that uh, we would, you know, most likely trust first before ABC Collections from Sri Lanka. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not picking on Sri Lanka. It's just that's for whatever reason that's the name in my head or the country, city, whatever the heck that is in my head. Um, country uh so what about staff i mean we've all got we've all got employees who it seems to be have time on their hands on occasion why Mm -hmm. can can they make calls should they be making calls yeah uh i i say that yeah they should be making phone calls i mean they have a relationship with the patients right i think that it's smart to have them make phone calls um making phone calls same thing with statements i think Anyone could argue that making a phone call is better than playing on Facebook, right? I think you're going to get a better result. <laughs> um, so right, we laugh. But so, but it also depends on how that um, practice is staffed. You know, if they're overstaffed and they have people looking for things to do, then by all means, they should be getting on the phone. But if you have one person that is there to file insurance, run the practice, they're going in the back to assist. They're answering the phone in the front. Do you want them calling a patient that has owed money for six months or a year and tying up the line when someone walks in and, you know, they're having to be assertive and maybe just a little bit uh, aggressive about the bill? I mean, do you want that to be your first impression of someone walking in at the door? Like, it drives me crazy. Like, I will go into a store, I don't know if you've experienced this, Jerry, but it's just kind of philosophical. I'll go into a store, I'll be talking to somebody about a product, and they'll pick up the phone for someone calling off the yellow pages. Does that not seem a little bit weird to you, that you'd shun someone right in front of you to pick up someone that wants to know what your hours are? Oh, to no end. Um, and I've actually just walked away. If If the call is more important and you don't even know who's calling or why, if that's more important than the person standing in front of you about ready to give you money, you don't deserve my money. So I, I just walk right. away. But, yeah, I'm with you. Right. Yeah, yeah, but making phone calls is a good thing. And then, of course, giving them to a company at some point, you know, when you've reached a, a certain threshold, your internal effectiveness drops off, and that's commonly accepted around 60 or 90 days. And at that point, you should be, you know, thinking about, giving it over to a reputable company to help augment that or do that for you. Sure. So your, your staff can really focus on what they do best. You know, you well, what about the turn... dentist? Should the dentist ever say anything to a patient about a bill? Should the dentist ever be in contact with a patient about the bill? I would never recommend it, and that's my personal opinion. I think it degrades the profession. I think someone that is trained in clinical acumen, clinical excellency, that is there to provide a healthcare service to the patient should be focused not on the money but on uh, the treatment of that patient. Um, I really feel strongly that that uh, should be delegated back to the staff. Um, and there, you know, I've got a script that can be used if any of your listeners want it on a very delicate way that you know the dentist can, if they're approached by by a patient about a bill, just say, hey. I, you know, I really don't keep a pulse on that. You know, my job is to take care of you clinically and keep you in great health and then politely escort that patient to the front desk or, you know, to the sidebar there to have that conversation. Because 
you know, then, then patients are getting the image that you're in it for just the money. And that's when people get crazy. They get on Yelp or they complain or file a complaint. And I just feel like they're getting it clean. Now, I will say this, Jerry. I've seen this happen many, many times. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sounding board for, for unhappy office researchers sometimes. And they'll say, you know, the doc told me to collect this, that we need to get this under control. But then a patient who I, you know, I contacted to get payment from, you know, went behind my back at Walmart or at church or whatever and talked to the, talked to the dentist about the bill and literally get the rug pulled out from underneath them. Like the, the dentist says, listen, I'll take care of it. So then that office manager, they have no credibility. And it's a very conflicting message. You're told on one hand to improve the situation, but when it comes down to it, you're not being supported in your efforts. How frustrating of a job is that? That's probably a definition of conflicting signals. Would you not agree? Oh, 100%, 100%. You know, and then so, so what's, what's, the, what's that person going to do from now on? Well, I guess I'm not even going to ask for money if, if he or she doesn't care enough to, to let me do my job and get the satisfaction of doing my job correctly, you know, maybe I will let that patient just walk out the door. I'll send them a statement. No big deal. Why Why would I care more than they do about their business? Yeah. Um, what about what about AR? I mean, should a dentist carry AR? I mean, I know we've kind of covered that, but um, are you just – I mean, do you think it's just really a personal – opinion on the type of business model they want to run i mean are, do you see that i mean you've kind of alluded to it i guess in our in our call but um do you really think that an ar is a good thing having an ar i mean i do personally i think that it's a well calculated risk um i think having some accounts receivable is a good thing like you know it's, it's july usually a pretty bad month for most dentists I think you know. I think July in general for most businesses, many businesses that are not uh, vacation related, <laughs> uh, I think they all suffer a little bit. Okay, so wouldn't it make sense to have some recurring revenue? In other words, if they could convert some of their sales to uh, future production over a series of months, wouldn't it be nice to have a buffer so that you know that dentist can actually go on vacation or do whatever they're going to do that month and not freak out that their numbers are going to be awful. So I, I think if you do it carefully, and you're not just carte blanche, you're just giving everybody credit. Oh, full mouth restoration, okay, 10 bucks a month for the rest of your life, no problem. Right. I think as long as you're making smart decisions, I don't think it's a big deal. But, you know, every dentist has a different tolerance for risk. I mean, I think a lot of these millennials are very entrepreneurial, and their tolerance for risk might be much higher. Um, you know, the ones that are not, maybe they go work for, as an associate for practice until they learn the business. And then, you know, once they have a safety net, then they can move out of it. So I really feel like it's a personal decision. Yeah. And, I mean, I, yeah, and I, like you, I I think a, a strong AR isn't a bad thing. I mean, I'm, I encourage my members to, to finance patients when the opportunity is there and when it's the right, when it's the right one. Um, no show fees. I've got some docs that charge them, some that don't. In my office, we charge them. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, selectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's blatant versus, you know, oh, geez. Um, right. You know, one time versus habitual offender. What are your thoughts <laughs> on those? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's interesting because I think most people don't get paid on the no-show fees. Do you find you don't get paid on a lot of them? I, I don't care if we do or don't. It's um, okay. most yeah, of the principle. time they get written off anyway. Even if we aren't, yeah. you know, even if the patient's yeah. like, "Oh, you know, I'm sorry, that's my fault. I'll pay it." And we'll be like, yeah. "You know what? We'll take care of it this time. Just make sure, you know, when you have an appointment, if you have questions, you can't make it. Do everything you can to let us know because that time we've said it, you know, yeah. and then they, so they do it in a nice way. But it's it's one of those things you can take away. You know, you can eliminate it for them. Right. Well, it's okay. kind of the same thing. The, the discount, right? When you offer them a mm-hmm. discount. Uh, if they pay in full that day. I mean, it's a great motivator. So it's probably a good negotiation tactic. Um, I don't have any uh, data or any uh, solid opinion whether it really helps with the profitability of a practice. I think it's kind of like what you said, that it's 
usually a personal preference and it's more of a principle of the matter. Um, I think if your patients are really engaged with your practice and they understand, you know, the appointment set correctly and you've done everything you can to, to notify them, I mean, of course, things happen all the time. Cars break down and, and you know, dogs die and all that fun stuff. But um, it does happen to a lot more people. Some people, you know, their, their fourth grandmother in a row died in like a year. It's amazing. It's like a national uh, problem with grandmothers out there. I'm really scared. But so getting back to the point, yes, they can. So I guess, you know, you can choose to charge it uh, by principle. Um, I know a lot of times those fees are uncollectible. So I, I really don't, not that opinionated whether you should charge it or not. I think if you're charging it a lot, you, you've got an internal uh, problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I would. I, I'm with you. Um, I mean, there's there's not enough being done for appointment reminders, uh, or or nothing being done um, that's causing that problem. Uh, not enough being done to sell the appointment to the patient once they've agreed to it and resell it at every opportunity. So, um, yeah, I think that's I think that's part of that uh, that challenge. Um, hey, we've got time for about one more question, and we're not going to get to the rest of them, which to me would indicate we probably ought to do another one of these um, in, a, in the future. I'd love it. And spend some more time because it's a big it's a big topic and it's a complex topic. Um, much of it, as we've talked about so far, is is just really based on a doctor's philosophy of business and where their comfort zone is at. And um, mm-hmm. I'm always one to push a doctor's comfort zone uh, through education and and helping them understand you know the pros and cons of what they're doing. Um, and so I think that's really what we're you know what we're trying to accomplish here on this call is hey, there's a lot of ways to do it. Just, you know, number one, be comfortable with how you're doing it. Number two, make sure it's profitable. You don't want to lose money. So really the next, the next, uh, the final question, I guess, for, for today's uh, training, um, what, when you have, um, when you're sending statements, um, is there anything or is there something that a dentist should do to have those statements really stand out? Yeah, it, and this goes to the question of are you automating your statements through your practice management system, your software, or are you doing them old school, you know, and and licking envelopes and putting stamps on them or what have you. Um, I would say that anything you can do to make the statement stand out, uh, different size, different color envelope, um, you know, writing a cute little message on it, hey, you know, oh, Johnny won his soccer game, oh, by the way, we haven't received your payment yet. I mean, if those are not cost prohibitive or time prohibitive, I think those really uh, help reinforce the fact that your patient is considered a valuable valuable asset to the practice and that you value them and hopefully you feel the same, they feel the same way about you. Um, you know, so doing anything creative to stand out from every other bill they have uh, that that should be played with and tried. Uh, I know it can't hurt. If the statement looks like every other bill they received this month, then you're just in a stack. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of different colored paper. So if you're using double-winded envelope, using a bright colored paper, so that bright paper is showing through the, you know, through the windows or uh, different mm-hmm. colored envelopes. I love those ideas. Those are all, to me, I mean, that just goes back to, you know, having your direct mail be effective to generate new patients or retain patients. I mean, you need to right. have it stand out and be different and unique uh, versus, oh, it's just like all the other bills this month. Throw it in a pile, honey. We'll get to it when we get to it. That's why so, your system works so well. It's different than everything else out there, right? That's exactly right. I mean, if you had to ask yep. me, why, why do your ads outperform anybody else's? Because they don't look anything like them. Um, that's just kind of the name of the game. But, uh, well, um, Andy, it's been just a pleasure. Um, but we are out of time. Um, so if it's okay with you, I'd like to share your contact information with our with our subscribers. Uh, would that be all right with you? Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. And i just, you know, let, let them know that I, I'm really an open book. I really just enjoy working in the dental field. And uh, I, I'd encourage them, any for any of them to contact me, really for any reason. I just enjoy helping people and networking and getting to know people. So they're very welcome. You're welcome to give out my information, and they can use it liberally. Great. Well, um, we've been with today Andy Cleveland, the Accounts Receivable Ninja. And, Andy, I mean, your real, your real deal is you're an Accounts Receivable Consultant. And so, I mean, some of the questions we've talked about today and answers you've provided 
um, is just really cracking the book. I mean, we haven't even hardly passed Chapter 1 yet. Um, so, uh, you know, if you have questions for Andy, you want to reach out to him, shoot him an email or, or reach him on a phone. Um, his email is arninja at andycleveland.com. Cleveland is spelled just like the city in uh, in Ohio, so it's arninja at andycleveland.com. Um, your mobile phone, you're brave enough to give this to me, uh, 864-517-2233, 864-517-2233. Um, and again, it's uh, Andy Cleveland. And Andy, sir, thank you very, very much for your time today and for sharing your wisdom. Well, Jerry, I want to thank you for inviting me. It's an honor. Um, I love what you're doing in the field of dentistry, and I cannot wait to our paths cross again. Sounds great, Andy. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. And for everybody else, uh, Dentistry Confidential, appreciate you tuning in, and we'll be back next month. Have a great one. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Jerry Jones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.